First Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we are, of course, continuing on uh, with our series on ready for his return. And uh, I must tell you that uh, we will have to um, uh, suspend uh, our series uh, in view of uh, a new series that I want to present to you for the Christmas uh, period. And we'll go back to this series, Ready for His Return. And I intend to finish it uh, in the new year. First Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> Last Sunday, of course, we noticed a shift, movement uh, in Paul's uh, letter to the believers here at Salonica. Um, this time, he was looking forward to... Uh, by encouraging them to abound more and more. Abound more and more. And of course, the object of that abounding is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as a young church composed of young believers, uh, they were doing well in the work uh, of faith, in their labor of love, uh, and indeed, their steadfast hope in the coming of the Lord. They're doing well. Uh, for a church that is young, composed of uh, young believers, they really, at this time, uh, they really didn't have a, a mature church leadership yet at the time, but they were doing well. But as good as that was, uh, Paul encouraged them, beseech, uh, a very powerful word, beseech, is the word, or was the word that he used, to admonish them, uh, to uh, keep on keeping on. He encouraged them to do so, to better themselves, uh, to abound more, to grow more, encourage them not to think that they have apprehended or they have attained, uh, but rather pressed toward the mark of the prize for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and, of course, in their lives. Now, part of the abounding, part of the growing in the Lord, uh, and Paul certainly, uh, as you have noticed last Sunday, he didn't pull any punches here. He didn't mince his words either. Uh, he... Uh, uh, he clearly and emphatically said in no uncertain terms that the will of God for them, the Salonicans, and by application to us today, is to abstain, to abstain, to flee even fornication. And I hope you all now have a clarity of what that word meant in all its forms in the Greek language. Indeed, in the society of their day, and I'm concerned even in our days today. Verse 7, uh, this, most, this is most applicable to us today, uh, and, and uh, by inspiration, uh, Paul wrote it, and he says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Paul now continues to encourage the Salonicans, uh, and again, by application, us to abound more and more. The title of our message this morning is 
Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Stand with me, please, if you're able. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Here we will find the contrast from lasting and loving. The contrast from lasting into loving. Verse 9 of uh, chapter 4, please. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are all in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. Let's pray together, Father. Once again, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have your preserved word in our hands. Uh, for many of us, we have multiple copies of your word. In some places today, uh, they, they do not have that privilege. And some of them have but merely pages that they have smuggled through uh, just so that they can uh, read and, and, and meditate upon your word. So help us not to be uh, ungrateful, unthankful, and indeed take for granted your most holy word, your living word, uh, the absolute truth, uh, the very source and basis of our faith and indeed our practice. And so as we look at it this morning yet again, I pray once more that you would teach us your truth, and Father, that you would meet with us, that everything will be said and done, will be pleasing and acceptable to you. And Lord, once again, Help us not just to be hearers. Oh, Father, that we would indeed be doers of your word, especially in these last days. And I pray, dear, one, dear God, if there's one, two, or three that's in our midst right now that is still yet to profess their faith in the saving uh, work of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary, oh, may today be the day of your salvation. Help us witness another miracle in the salvation of a soul uh, within our midst today. We give you the praise. We give you the thanks indeed for you. Deserve it all. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here in this passage of four verses, and as Paul was about to teach them the coming of the Lord, uh, from verse 13 onwards, he gave them some practical instructions on how to live uh, in the light uh, or in anticipation of indeed the return of Christ, uh, not, on, not on, on earth at this time, but on the clouds, okay? Paul, uh, like what we're doing right now, he is readying his flock. He is readying his congregation for that time that the Lord's return is coming. He said, but as touching, as concerning brotherly love, here we go again. Can you see it? We can't escape from it. It's all over the epistle. This loving business of loving the brethren. And in here, you'll, see me, uh, you'll hear me say, loving even those that are without 
the household of faith. That means others that are not in here at the church. We can't escape it, beloved. Love one another. He commended them about this all the way from chapter 1, remember? Uh, but as I said, he did not want them to be complacent. He didn't want them to lose it. He didn't want them to take each other for granted. He didn't want them to be ho-hum about love. That is just something that is mechanical. That it is something that we just say. That it is something that we just think and never follow through. And so he, uh, he, he encouraged them not to be complacent, uh, but rather that they would love each other more. More. Now let's unpack this a little bit uh, this morning, because again, it is important uh, for them and indeed for us in this uh, day. Uh, after all, did not Paul told Timothy about these last days? Uh, uh, and again, by application, this should be a warning to, to us all today. Uh, uh, turn to 2 Timothy, please, just uh, a few pages. Uh, 2 Timothy, uh, here in chapter 3. Uh, beginning here in uh, verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 3, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers uh, of themselves. Uh, did you notice that? Uh, lovers of what? Others? No. Lovers of their own selves. Uh, and even more that we be mindful of this in our day. Uh, uh, for the general mindset out there, the general thinking out there is to look after number one because no one else will. Beloved, that is a very worldly way of thinking. That is a very worldly concept and it ought not to be found in the house of God. And it ought not to be the thinking of God's people. And so here... Uh, uh, we can see that they are not lovers in these last days, not lovers of the brethren, but lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Oh, how true is that today? Disobedient to parents, and I'm not talking just the little ones. Okay. Uh, unthankful, unholy, in the heart and in the act. Without natural affection, that means heartless, hateful. That's what it means. Truth breakers, false accusers, uh, um, <clears throat> incontinent, that means lack of self-control or no self-control at all. Fears, fiery, that's what it means. Despisers of those that are good. Don't you see that today? What is good is now bad, and what is bad is now good. What is virtuous, uh, what is proper, uh, is no longer. The standards have changed. Okay. Uh, uh, despises of those that are good, traitors, heady or high-minded, that simply means proud. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They have a form. Not genuine godliness, but a form of godliness. But denying the power thereof. 
These creep and take captive uh, uh, people in their houses. Yes, Christian homes included. These thoughts, these ideologies, these mindsets creeps up to our homes. And just because we are Christians, just because we have a Christian home, we're not immune, we're not exempted uh, from this mindset, from this thinking. And I am concerned that it's coming through. It's being brought into the church. Oh, God's, God help us. They have a form, like I said, of godliness, but not genuine godliness. Uh, uh, these ones uh, creep into our houses, um, into sin through divers of different kinds of lust, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, of course. They are ever learning or pretend to be learned, opinionated, Yet they really are never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I mean the truth of God's word. Philosophies, yes. Ideologies, yes. But the truth of God's word? Maybe not. Maybe not. Now what did Paul say to Timothy? From such, turn away. From such, turn away. Beloved, I say it again, love, love for the brethren must be one of the marks of a true church. Must be. You see, the Thessalonians in their culture of lust and immorality and sexual promiscuity, I believe Paul saw it fit for them to be uh, reminded and for them to distinguish between the two. You see, lust and love are never the same, will never ever be the same. Uh, I submit to you this morning that we, that we even in our times today, uh, many of us, perhaps because of the influence of the world around us, are confused about lust and love. It's never the same, will never be the same, because contrary to love, lust is selfish. Uh, it always seeks its own. It's that me, me too, and me three, and I, I, I mentality. Everything is about them. Everything revolves in them. Forget about others. It's me. What I want, when I want, how I want it. That's what you have there. And listen, look at me, please. Never ever bring that thinking into the church. It's never about us. No matter what we're going through in life, it's never about us. It's all about the Savior. He is the very object of our faith. He is the reason why we do the things that we do. He is the preeminence. Everything else is secondary to him. Let's not forget that. That is the purpose why we are here until 50 years from now. And I pray for yet another 50 years if he tarries. And so Paul... Uh, 
you know, uh, use uh, this word Philadelphia here. Biologically, that means affection between brothers and sisters in the family. Theologically, biblically, that means that word is used to love or exercise love between brothers and sisters in the family of God. Again, Paul wasn't correcting the Thessalonians for their lack of love. He just commended them in chapter 1. Okay. Uh, what is, he is rather doing is not just commending them, but encouraging them to keep working at it. I submit to you this morning, loving another is work. It's a choice. Because many of us, and me first, many times I'm really not that lovable. And so you have to forbear with your pastor. I have to forbear with you. And there will times that you are annoying as I am. Isn't that true? But Angela, I have to make a choice to love you as a sister in the Lord. Not that you are annoying, okay. Over the times that you are not so lovable. When you do things that are just unbecoming. I have to make a choice to love you as a brother and sister in the Lord. And so, yes, it takes work. And so, though not only lust and love, not the same, let's get it. Love, this is important principle, okay? Love that is void or without truth is hypocrisy. And truth without love is brutality, is cruelty. Understand that principle. You may have all the truth. And we as independent, fundamental, Baptist, strong in our doctrine. If we don't have love, what did the Bible say? We're a noise. A tinkling symbol, an annoying noise. Love without truth. In Tagalog is bola. Nambo bola lang. It's not true. It's hypocrisy. But truth without love is cruelty. Let it not be found in us, Calvary Baptist Church. So the Lord Jesus commanded his disciples, his followers, that's you and me, to love one another. Then he said in John 13, 35, notice, But these shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if, if ye have loved one to another. Did he not say that the second great commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves? And what is the first? To love him above everything else and everyone else. And the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbor. See, we can't escape it. And you that love and subscribes to the letter of the law, 
Listen to Paul when he said, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore love, listen, listen, listen. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans 13.10 Law and love. You, you, you want to know who really are the genuine children and true followers of God? They are the ones that John described in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 14. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil is also manifest. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. Inescapable. Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life. <laughs> if. If. We love or because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother. Abideth. Remains. In death. They may not even be saved if they can't find it in themselves to love a brother or sister in the Lord. I say to you, Calvary Baptist Church, loving the brethren based on truth is not optional. It is a command from no other than the head of this church himself, the Lord Jesus. It's not something that we just pick up and say, I'll do this today. It's an ongoing thing for each and every one of us. Look at verses 9 to 10 uh, again, please. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Uh, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. It is the Lord himself that teaches us to love one another. How is that? It's through the Holy Spirit that is in us and indwelling us if you're a genuine child of God. He's in you. He has that small, still voice. Hey, Manny, you got to love that annoying Eric. You have to choose to love that Eric. Sometimes he's not. You are lovable, okay? <laughs> but you have to choose to love him. That's the idea here. Okay? The love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that it loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. These are our memory verses when we first got saved. And isn't that verse on the wall the greatest manifestation of God's love? For God so loved. See the emphasis? Uh, 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 and, 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 and if that is so, and it is, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 2 tells us, Be ye therefore followers of God, who said that uh, we are followers of Him as dear children, and walk 
in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling savor. Family camp. I missed some of you, by the way. And I thank you, those of you who have made an effort to come at least for a day, at least for a few hours. And next year, when we do this, uh, make it a time to be there. You know, watching you just react and interact with each other brought joy to my heart. It's a sweet-smelling savor to see. And I know some of what you're going through. Some of you have shared with me those things. But you're there exercising love to one another. It is not some mushy uh, emotional thing. It's just real. I see people helping another walk down and up uh, that, <laughs> that, that hill, Brother Eddie. It's real. People are genuinely talking having eye contact, exercising love. Uh, when, when, when they call us uh, to eat, I like that bit over 60, gets to have the, the first time. Then when they said the young ones, mm, I didn't practice love anymore. Love. Love for the brethren. Beloved, love involves self-sacrifice. One can say, I would die for someone I love, yet that same one isn't willing to serve and show his or her love to that somebody every day. I will die for you, darling, but he won't pick up the laundry basket and tuklet. Cherry's laughing because I don't like folding clothes. You can tell me uh, things to do, not just fold clothes. I fall asleep folding clothes. So if I say, I, I love you, darling, and now he's going to call on me now, help me fold the clothes. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's not enough for us to say, I'll die for you, darling, but it doesn't have to be just talk. It requires action. Love is caring, not just cold, mechanical, superficial routine. It's an act. A choice done from a heart that genuinely cares about another person's well-being. It is not just loving those who agrees with us and those that who would love us back. What better are we apart from the Pharisees if we are like that? Love is self-sacrifice, love is caring, and love also seeks the highest good of another. This is not just that some sentimental and emotional kind of love. Like I said again, love must be based on the truth. To seek the highest good of another uh, means for you and me is to lead another to know Christ and to be conformed to the image of Christ and to grow in the faith in Christ. That is the greatest goal if you're seeking another well, another man's well-being. Oh, my dear ones, you and I have always room for improvement on this matter. None of us have arrived in this matter. 
We are to grow more in this area, to abound more and more. We can always love our spouses more. We can always love our brothers and sisters in the family more. And indeed, we should love each other more in this God's family more and more. Again, I say this is it, beloved. If you are a child of God, we are going to be reunited in glory forever and ever. Mrs. Kaufman, I am there with you. We better get used to being together. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, I will annoy you in this life, but up there? So let's get used to it. Look around you. These are your brothers and sisters. These are the ones that will be resurrected in glory one day and forever. Learn to love each other now. You see, some of us, oh, you know, I have a different and glorified body in glory, so then I'll behave better. That's a very false and warped view of the glorified body. Now, if we are to abound more and more in love, think again of 1 Corinthians 13. I've touched on this last time. But you see, that chapter says, love suffereth long. That means patient. Are we patient with one another? Or are we short with each other? We blew a stack against each other. Love is kind. Are we kind and gracious toward each other? How about when we fall short of our expectations of one another? Love envieth not. That is not being jealous. Do we treat each, each other as competitors? Or co-laborers for the cause of Christ? You see the difference? Trying our hardest to get or solicit the attention, the loyalty of others at the expense of another? We're not competing. We're cooperating for the cause of Christ. Love is or does not boast and is not arrogant and proud. Are we so selfish and so self-focused, always narrating and parading our accomplishment and convincing others how good we are? To impress others with our opinions and knowledge? That's not love. Love does not behave unseemly. That means unbecoming of a believer. Are we rude? Are we considerate of the feelings and points of view of others, even if it's different from ours? Love does not seek its own. Again, are we or being selfish? Do we think of others first and their needs do we actually esteem others better than ourselves as the Bible asks us to do? Love is not easily provoked. How do we react when others do us wrong? Do we get angry and lash out when people don't do what we want but what they want us to do? Here we go again. Genuine love thinketh no evil of another. 
Just think. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Do we gloat when someone has failed in their faith? And perhaps even use that failing to our advantage or in our advancement? Now I understand. There are pastors out there like me who are not perfect and have failed, fallen from grace. They have molested, embezzled churches money, uh, had some uh, adulterous relationships with their secretaries, uh, all sorts of things. The temptation for us who are supposed to be in the straight and narrow is to gloat over that. You see brother so-and-so, you see what he's done? Do we rejoice in that? Now, if that brother, though has fallen, is a genuine child of God, we shouldn't be gloating on their failures. We've been witnesses to that lately. Somebody prominent, a celebrity preacher, has been accused of X, Y, Z, one, two, three. How did you react? I confess to you, I react perhaps the same way that you did in the beginning. Then I had to go to my room and confess because I was gloating. I was justifying. Serves you, right? You leading people astray and you with your expensive watches and accommodations and all this. We gloat. Love bears all things. Do we forbear with people in their immaturity, failings or shortcomings or do we ridicule and criticize them? Love believes all things or are we always suspicious and distrusting of each other. Love hopes all things, or do we write people off? Do we trust and believe that God is working on them as God is working in us? Love never fails. So do we then give up on others who have wronged us or hurt us? I don't know about you. I look at this list, Brother Ricardo. I, I, I'm so far from completing it, Brother. There's so much gaps in my life about how it is to love. And I'm supposed to be your pastor. My dear ones, let's get it right, what it means to actually love one another. Notice now another aspect of abounding that Paul mentioned in the letter. Here in verses 11 to 12, let's read it. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Without a doubt, Paul encouraged and admonished the Thessalonians to abound more and more and exercise love within the church, within the household of faith. After all, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, yes, especially to those of the household of faith. But now Paul beseeches them to also abound to those that are without, 
to those that are outside of the household of faith. The idea here is abounding more and showing God's love to those that are unsaved, to those that are unchurched, uh, people that we transact daily uh, at our workplaces perhaps, our neighborhood and our community even. Now perhaps you're wondering, why is this verse even here in the passage and how is it related to abounding more and more in the Lord? What did Paul mean when he wrote that ye study to be quiet? Why is he talking about studying? Mind your own business, he says, and work with your hands. Aren't they doing that in Thessalonica? Aren't we supposed to do that as believers? So why is that verse inserted in here? Uh, you see, beloved, the word study that is used by Paul here has the idea of laboring, has the idea of striving earnestly to make it one's ambition, one's aspiration to lead a quiet life. Now turn with me, please, to chapter 1, verse 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, here in verse 3. You remember this, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love, and notice, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God uh, and our Father. Now you remember Paul commended them about their work of faith, their labor of love, and indeed their hope in the Lord. Now drop down to verse 9 of uh, chapter 1 still. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And listen to verse 10. And to wait for his Son from heaven. Okay. These guys have turned from idols to serve the true and living God. Now Paul obviously taught them about the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can see that in the text. Consequently, they were literally waiting for Christ to come. Yes, even in their own generation. And I have no reason to disbelieve that Paul believed that Christ could come even in his time. And the only reason why the Lord hasn't returned is because of his grace and mercy. But he can return any time before our worship service is even over. So Paul obviously taught them about the, the return uh, of the Lord. And so much so that in their excitement, in their enthusiasm, in their earnest anticipation, they have lost the balance. Very important principle in the Christian life. They've lost their balance. They became so excited about heaven, they have forgotten that they were still on earth. What is it? You are so heavily minded, you're of no earthly good. They have lost sight of their responsibilities. While it was good that they were eagerly anticipating, what was not good is that they have neglected to work with their own hands. Now, turn to 2 Thessalonians. We'll get here soon enough. Uh, here in chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, <clears throat> here in verse 10, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, so Paul was saying when we were there with you in, 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 in presence, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. 
For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. See that? Working not at all, but are busy bodies. Again. Okay. Uh, now, them that are such, we com- command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. What has happened was that Paul must have been made aware of the confusion of the soon return of Christ. uh, And as a result, many of the Salonicans spent uh, their time in habitual idleness, inaction, uh, and or laziness. There was reason to believe by many commentators that they were indulging on the labor of others. Instead of working, they have become busy bodies. They were minding everyone else's business but their own. Uh, my dear ones, listen to me when I say this, please. And I say it in love. God made man to work. God made man to work. And none of us here has an excuse not to. Admittedly, some have already retired. They've done their dust, they've done their work, and now enjoying the fruits of their labor. Okay, but you still work, don't you? Some of you are still taking care of your grandchildren. Some of you are still doing errands. Some of you are still making cars. You're still working, even in your retirement. And admittedly, some who wanted to work but cannot due to some illness or some disability. But for everyone else, we need to work. We need to work. Those of you who are Filipinos, you'd understand it. My old pastor, Pastor Lyons, he keeps on saying that I was part of the staff in, 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 in Bible college. He said, many, no work, no eat. You know what that means for me? That means third floor of our multi-level Bible college, uh, Stephen. I would clean the, 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 the chairs there. I wipe the wooden chairs. Uh, you know, bunot. Uh, I would polish the floor. And I would print the bulletin. And we didn't have computerized, darling. We had the old stencil. That you have to make sure you put the right thing and the same uh, level of ink. Otherwise, it all comes out crazy, not like the bulletins that you do. No. No work, no eat. Hasn't changed. The Bible's still true. Okay. Uh, that, that command of God uh, uh, is as old as the Bible. Can I ask you though, how old is the Genesis record? Can I ask you a, a rhetorical question? Why do you work? And what is your goal at work? Hmm. The obvious answer, of course, is to provide for yours and your family's needs. And that's right. That's Bible. Uh, Like I said, it's as old as the Genesis record. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for thus thou art, and unto thus shalt thou return. Genesis 3, verse 19. No work, no eat, like I said, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. And of course, that's serious warning, fellas. 
1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. That means worse than an unbeliever. Wow. You're a Christian, you say? And you're not working when you could? The Bible says you're worse than an infidel. You're worse than an unbeliever. If you refuse to work when you can work. Hmm. But if your main and only goal in working is to provide for your family, how are you different from the rest of the workforce in the workplace? You see, those that work... I will take care of those that don't work but could work uh, in a moment. Those that work with their hands, as Paul commanded them here. Um, everyone that I know that are working, uh, and before I was pastoring, I was obviously working. I'm still working now. I hope you can see that. Um, that um, everyone that works, their main reason is to meet their family's needs and wants. And so I ask you again, how are you different? Should you be different? You see, beloved, the Greek culture in Paul's day looked down on laboring or working. In their culture, in their society, they viewed working as for slaves only. But the Bible instructs us to uphold the dignity of work. The dignity of working with our hands, as Paul wrote here in our text. I keep on referring to the, the Filipinos because there's, there's a few of us here today. You know, in the Philippines, if you don't have a diploma, if you have not some sort of uh, certificate that you've been a university graduate, you'll be picking up bottles in the streets and you'll put this in a little wooden cart, and you go to the depot and sell it for measly amount. Or you'll be sweeping the street, you will be one of the lowlifes. There's not enough opportunity for you if you do not have the qualifications, so to speak. There is no middle class where I came from. It's slowly now virtually disappeared. The poor gets poorer and the rich are getting richer. Now, when I came to Australia in 1992, our neighbor, my sister's neighbor, and don't get me wrong here, please, he is a rubbish collector. You know those people that drive the trucks? You know, in the Philippines, if you're a rubbish collector, basurero, there is no respect and by the way, how we collect rubbish there is people would put it in some little container, put it in a plastic, and somebody is walking behind the truck, picking up this rubbish and throwing it into the truck manually. So if the person didn't pack it manually, all that rubbish falls on you, and it smells. And Christmas time, right? These guys will be knocking on your doors, Merry Christmas. There is no dignity of labor where I came from. Here in Australia, you don't want to work. You have support from the government. You go put your card into the ATM machine and you buy your grog. 
I'm telling you, with all the whinging and whining that we do for our country today, there is so much more here for us than in other places, and we better respect our nation. There is dignity of labor here. You want to eat a tomahawk steak as a basurero or a, or a, a, a rubbish collector? You can. You can dine into the most finding dine, dining restaurant with, with the elbow. Uh, if you can afford it, go do it. And no one's going to question you, but not in some other places. You're not allowed to enter those places because you can't afford. Golf here is a, a, a game that people, anyone can play. In where I came from, golf is for rich people. Dignity of labor. Please. There's a principle here. We need to understand that God have tasked Adam and Eve to labor, to work in the garden even before the fall. You realize that? Okay. Even before the fall. And especially so after the fall. God commanded men to work. Cain and Abel worked. Uh, um, Abraham raised cattle. Moses worked as a shepherd under his father-in-law. How low is that? Okay, uh, I could go on and on with this. Joseph, David, Peter, most of them are all fishermen. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector. Paul himself made tents. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a carpenter. He worked. And so Paul commanded the Salonicans to perform their labor, their work as unto the Lord, Colossians 3, 22 to 24. He taught them that labor, that work is dignified regardless whether it is a blue or white collar job. You see, some believers work, uh, believe that work is a curse. And they see it as a curse. No, beloved, it was the ground that God cursed, not the work. God honors work. He commanded us to work. He did cause the ground only because of sin and disobedience. That's why you and I now work at the sweat of our brows or our face before uh, these things would come to fruition. Not so before the fall. It was never God's fault. It's always been our fault. There's a principle, like I said, while it is difficult to work due to the fall, it does not mean that there is no dignity in it. I understand that not all jobs are as satisfying as someone else's. Uh, we need to, however, see work itself as dignified and it being a calling from God. You see, if you and I will view work as a curse, we'll do our very best to avoid it. But if we view our work as a calling from the Lord, whether you're a basurero or you're a doctor or you're a lawyer or an electrician or a dentist, it's a calling from God. If you see it as a calling, you will not do the bare minimum. You will abound more. Your behavior at the workplace and your your, your ethics, your output, your KPIs, you will be abounding more and more. And that is where you could be different. Is that your goal? Or it's just, I'm here for the dollars and cents, and I go home.
Please don't be like that. Your work is a calling from the road. You will abound more and more. You will walk honestly toward them that are without. That's what the Bible says. That means that your witness to your unbelieving workmates, your behavior on the job uh, will always be top of mind. And can I tell you, it will be noticed by your bosses and your peers as well. And as we learned previously, by abstaining from fornication in all its forms, not only will they notice, not only will they appreciate you, they will respect your work ethic, they will also see your moral purity, your honesty, your integrity, and they will respect you for it. At least some still do. So here in verse 12, as we close, what does this mean? What does it mean to walk honestly? What does it mean to, decent, uh, to walk honestly, that's decently, properly, before the unsaved, before the unbelieving? It means we should be responsible. Responsible citizens and responsible stewards of our income. Pay our bills. Uh, live within our means. Be generous and ready to share and not relying on the government unnecessarily abusing or rotting the system. Somebody warned me about this when I first preached it. Many of you don't say that to Australians. Because a lot are dependent on welfare for all sorts of reasons. Some are legit. Some are not legit. So if I'm touching on a raw nerve here, I'm speaking on the authority of God's word. Christians, we are not to rot the system. We are to pay our tax as well. And if we're due to pay tax, we pay the tax. I've just experienced this lately. Uh, if things weren't recorded properly, I was supposed to pay $20,000 in tax. And I was happy to prepare, to pay for it, if it's legit. Mm. We should not be abusing and rotting the system. We should not leeching or mooching off someone else. Uh, or we should not be lazy or content to be idle and not work within our own hands. My dear ones, we should not be a burden to others. We should be helping. We should be bearing in the burdens and not being a burden ourselves. Ephesians 4.28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may give to him that needeth. Beloved, we are not acting and abounding in love if we're being idle, if we're being lazy, if we are relying and expecting favors from other believers because we do not want to work with our own hands. This is not a good testimony. Not a good testimony to those that are without, and can I say also those that are within the faith. Are you abounding in the Lord? Are you abounding in your love for the brethren? Are you abounding in your service for the Savior and his saints? 
Are you abounding and walking honestly before those that are without and within the faith? Such that they find you and your faith attractive? You're walking the talk. You're performing your professions. You're delivering on your doctrines. Or have you been meddling with other man's business and not working with your own hands? Tough, isn't it? Simple, but sobering for us. You see, the Salonicans fell on this because they were so busy getting their gaze off what's real and their responsibilities and they have become idol worshippers. Now idol, idol worshippers and lazy worshippers. Praise God I don't see that in here. Praise God I see the reverse in here. I thank God whenever we put a call on this pulpit so and so needs something. You rally yourselves. You dig deep. You pray. Some of you will drive to these people to bring meals. I say it over and over again. The amount of times I see people come to this church on an ordinary day doing menial work. Why? Because they don't want to be idle. They want to contribute rather than a burden. How many envelopes have I received for other people, and indeed for me as well, because they're ready to share. Let's keep it going. Let's not be like the Salonicans, at least in this area. Abound more and more for the Savior. God bless you, Father. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we have examples and principles to follow. Indeed, that we would abound more and more for you. And so, Lord, that's our desire. And we pray that we would admonish and encourage each other to be so. That we would not be idle, we would not be lazy. That we would continue to abound more and more for you. Help us not to meddle in other people's business. We mind our own businesses, our own responsibilities, deliver on what we said, what we would do. And Father, I pray that your will and way be accomplished in us. Above all, may we be great exhibitors, genuine manifestators of your love for the brethren. We ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>